Hey everyone, Jason here. I am the My Climate Journey show host. Before we get going, I wanted to take a minute and tell you about the My Climate Journey, or MCJ as we call it, membership option. Membership came to be because there were a bunch of people that were listening to the show that weren't just looking for education, but they were longing for a peer group as well. So we set up a Slack community for those people that's now mushroomed into more than 1,300 members. There is an application to become a member. It's not an exclusive thing. There's four criteria we screen for. Determination to tackle the problem of climate change. Ambition to work on the most impactful solution areas. Optimism that we can make a dent and we're not wasting our time for trying. And a collaborative spirit. Beyond that, the more diversity, the better. There's a bunch of great things that have come out of that community, a number of founding teams that have met in there, a number of nonprofits that have been established, a bunch of hiring that's been done, a bunch of companies that have raised capital in there, a bunch of funds that have gotten limited partners or investors for their funds in there, as well as a bunch of events and programming by members and for members, and some open source projects that are getting actively worked on that hatched in there as well. At any rate, if you want to learn more, you can go to myclimatejourney.co, the website, and click the Become a Member tab at the top. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. This is Jason Jacobs, and welcome to My Climate Journey. This show follows my journey to interview a wide range of guests to better understand and make sense of the formidable problem of climate change and try to figure out how people like you and I can help. Today's guest is Mike Phillips, CEO and co-founder at Sense, a consumer-focused home energy monitor that lets homeowners know what devices are on and how much energy they are using via hardware and a smartphone app. Also, you might notice that I'm not Jason. This is Cody Sims, Jason's partner at MCJ. I did today's interview with Mike at Sense, and you'll hear me take on episodes here and there going forward. I was excited for today's episode because Sense is tackling a huge challenge, getting consumers to engage around their home energy usage. And they're solving a hard technology problem on top of it with hardware that listens to the electrical signals your home generates as different devices consume electricity. They've taken a lean startup approach to market, working to test assumptions and delivering minimal viable product to de-risk key areas of the business while becoming experts in how consumers want to engage around energy usage. Also, we're investors in Sense via our MCJ Collective Venture Capital Fund, so it was especially fun to get to know Mike better and hear more about his backstory. We have a great discussion about the future of the home, electric panels, smart meters, the role utilities play in hardware deployment, and in what ways consumers want to be involved in home energy management. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Well, I'm really excited to have you here to learn more about Sense and what you're building, and also learn more about your journey because Sense itself has had quite a journey. I think you founded it nine years ago, maybe at this point, and you've been involved in the tech space for, for quite some time. So I'm eager to dive in and hear a bit about, first of all, how you got started going from a, uh, I believe, a speech recognition background into Building a home energy efficiency and monitoring company is a uh, is certainly a journey that I'm I'm interested to hear about. Yeah, so it has been quite a journey. So a uh, long time ago, I was a researcher at MIT doing research on speech recognition. So really early days of machine learning and 
AI. Everyone talks about that now, but they did not back then, or, or not in kind words anyway. Uh, I left uh, uh, MIT back in the 1990s and started a company called SpeechWorks. We sort of advanced, uh, licensed advanced speech recognition technology from MIT and applied it to the call center world. So when you call those 800 numbers and you're talking to them, we ended up doing about half of those worldwide. So sorry about that. That was our, uh, but it was the only place that you could get that kind of technology live in a real way. So again, that was back in the, the early days. We, act- we we all thank you. We all thank you so much for that, Mike. <laughs> hey, well, you know, senses are redemption for that. So just keep that in mind. So, <laughs> company was successful. We went public in the year 2000, back at the tail end of the dot-com era. Then we survived the tech downturn and got bought by another company, a company that ended up becoming uh, Nuance that just got bought by Microsoft for a couple months ago. So a uh, long journey for that company, but I, I didn't stick around there too long. I left in 2005 because I wanted to do something more consumer-centric. I saw mobile phones were getting connected, as lots of people did. And we knew that mobile phones were going to transform. So I left, I left Nuance back then, and I started a company in 2006 called Lingo. We were out a couple years before Siri. Siri actually started a couple years after us. They were just a little startup out of SRI. Some people may not know this, but the very first version of Siri, you had to type to it. In ours, you could talk to it. We connected the two up. Steve Jobs saw it and bought Siri, and they, they became uh, the Siri that you know as Apple. And then we were the voice interface for Nokia, RIM, and Samsung back when RIM and Nokia were the, the big companies, and Samsung stayed, stayed so. So saw that transition that mobile phones went through and, and scaled up. Company Blingo, after lots of drama, was bought in 2012. So myself and a few others, uh, Ryan uh, Hewlett and Chris McCauley from Blingo, we we left. We decided we did not want to do another feature recognition startup, but still had to do another startup, of course, and decided we wanted to do something more meaningful, got very plugged into the energy and climate space, as I know many of your listeners have, and decided that's where we should spend our time. Super interesting. I mean, it sounds like really a journey of falling in love with cutting edge technology and figuring out how to turn it into product, whether that's on the speech recognition side or now moving into energy as it decentralizes. And I'm curious how you uh, how you got into climate. You said you wanted to do something more impactful. Like how, how did you land on home energy utilization as the path? Yeah, so like in the thing you just said, taking technology and turning it into product, absolutely a passion around that. But more importantly, products are actually useful. And look, talking to your phone is useful, but it's not climate change kind of useful. So, uh, and look, just personally, I've always been interested in the environment and, and also had been paying attention to what was going on in the climate since then. And look, back in 2013, it was still very politicized, but it was clear the direction that things were going and that we have to be part of. I'm afraid it's still it's, it's not as bad as it was in 2013. At least you can talk about it now. You couldn't talk about it back. That's right. That's true. So, so like we, we decided that that's where we wanted to spend our time, you know, do our part and take the stuff we know. So what do we know? We know about machine learning. We know about data. And we like consumer-facing applications. And it's that consumer-facing part that led us to, well, we should focus on residential. And, and when we talk about this later on, you'll see that what we do is certainly applicable to other types of buildings and systems, but because of the consumer focus, that's why we decided to settle on residential. But look, residential is a good place to, to spend time on if you care about energy and the climate. I mean, buildings in general are what, about 40% of all energy use worldwide. Homes are a bit more than half of that, but growing because of increased uh, air conditioner demand. The fundamental challenge, and again, we'll probably talk more, but like, how do we make homes smart? 
in a deep way. I mean, there's so much smart home stuff happening that, you know, entertainment system that knows your music and so on. That's all fine. I'm not trying to compete with that. But we think that the core systems of your home, so the pipes and the wires and the HVAC systems and these sort of things, they're kind of dumb systems today and they don't need to be. We can make these things smart and therefore much better users of resources like energy and water. So it's kind of our, our big picture. And again, we'll tell you a little bit more about how we think about that coming up here. And you'd worked with Christopher and you'd worked with Ryan, who are your co-founders at Sense. Did you, how did you land on this problem? Did you experiment around with a few different things? What were those early Genesis moments like of realizing, and we'll get into what Sense is in just a minute, but realizing this is the, pro, this is the problem to focus on? As you'll see, as we talk about it, we ended up doing something very technically focused. It's called load disaggregation, which has some similarities to speech recognition. But we didn't start there. I mean, we started from this notion of, we read uh, Amory Lovin's book about uh, reinventing fire that basically said, look, we could save half the energy that goes into homes. So like, why don't we do that? It's some combination of knowledge, you know, motivation, someone to remind people to do things and then access the product services and so on. So if you just start with a problem statement of how do we help people save half the energy in their homes, our simplistic notion back then was if we could know in detail what's happening in the home and if we could engage consumers around that, we should be able to then figure out how to make homes more efficient, right? By interacting with the consumers. So I mean, I'm giving you the historical view. I'll give you our more updated view in a minute, which is not in conflict with that, but we have a, a bigger, broader view now. But but that notion of you know starting from really two things. How do you know in detail what's happening in the home? We could either wait until everything gets instrumented, so wait until the Internet of Things is done, or we wondered, well, is there some other way to not wait and know what's going on in the energy in the home? Wondered the question of if we measured the energy in a detailed enough way, could we just tell just from the energy signatures? Sure enough, it's not a new idea. It's called load disaggregation, as I mentioned. And actually, when we started the company, we thought it was a solved problem or shouldn't be too hard from what we were reading up on it. And uh, first collected some signals, I think in Ryan's house, we like rigged something up and collected some data and quickly went, oh, wait a minute, this is way harder than people thought it was. It really reminded us of what speech recognition was 30 years ago, where there's been thousands of people working for 40 years to make speech recognition work and it's still not perfect. And this problem is as hard, if not harder. So we're like, oh, this again, a uh, really, really hard technical problem. That's okay. We're not scared of hard technical problems, but we don't like impossible problems. And frankly, we were not sure for a little while whether it was even possible to do what we we're doing. And took a couple of years to get down in the weeds enough and a detail enough to know, yeah, we can do this, but but it's a really, really tough problem. Which, by the way, is a great space to be in. Forgive me for asking the journey questions, but hey, this is my climate journey. We're, we're all about the journey. It sounds like you started with a problem space, which is you've got homes that are a, a huge source of carbon emissions and there's very little data coming out of them, they're very analog, then a potential technology approach of can we actually understand the electrical signals that are passing through the home and decided, I guess, if you can solve that technology challenge, there should be a business there. Is that, is, am I kind of articulating that correctly? Yeah, that's right. However, let me throw in the next part of the mix, which is we've always recognized, and I can give you our, our current view of this too, that We've got to engage the consumers around it. As much as we will, over time, be automating more and more things in the home, there's just no getting around the fact that things that the, the people living in the home or taking care of the home has a big impact on homes' work and therefore a big impact on how 
efficient they are. And as you know, this energy world is becoming less important about how much energy you use and becoming increasingly important about when you use it. So, so having the people living in and taking care of the homes involved in that, there's just no getting around that. So we, we came at this from a notion of we have to engage the consumers. And that also then led to a technical bit, which is, and again, when we started the company, we were talking to people that had tried to do this kind of thing before. And they all said, you know, you can't engage consumers around energy. It's too boring. Google tried it. They gave up. You shouldn't even try. And by the way, in the VC world, when the VCs are telling you don't even try, hey, you know, you're onto something. So that, that's why we said, no, we, we got it. We, get, we think we can. So we, we spent a lot of time looking at this and playing with these things and realized a couple of things. One is to engage consumers. You've got to make it a real-time experience. People try to do things from existing meter data, and we'll talk more about that, but you know, the current infrastructure that gives you 15-minute interval data the day later, it's just not good enough. I mean, you know, people don't care what happened yesterday, but if you can give people a real-time view of what's going on in your home. And the other insight we had is, yeah, you got to make it broader than just energy. So even though we came at this from an energy perspective, our, what we learned and now our view is we have to take this broader view of making homes intelligent for for not just energy, for energy, for awareness. So you can see, like, I left the house for the weekend. Did I leave the oven on? Most people, they have to drive back home and look at it to see if they left the oven. That's ridiculous. The house should know that the oven's on and you should just be able to open app and see, right? Or, gee, is my uh, sump pump running all the time? Do I have to go in the basement and look? That's ridiculous. The house should know that and just let you know this. So, so our notion now of these core systems of the home being smart and intelligent are way broader than just energy. And, and, and the reason that's so important, even if all you cared about is energy, is that's the only way you can engage the consumer. So think of this broader thing as the hook, right? And then once you have the hook, but then people are like, it's front and center to them. Oh, why is my dehumidifier using 30% of my energy? I should do something about that. I mean, what I love about the climate tech space in general is so much of problems that we're solving are real world problems that we all face every day. You know, got to live somewhere. You got to eat. You know, you got to get around. Founders like you are, are helping solve problems that are fixing the inefficiencies of how we have done it to date in what I will call the MVP of humanity 1.0, <laughs> technology enabled humanity 1.0. So with all that, uh, maybe help us understand with all that background, like what is sense? How do you define it today? The broad thing that we're going after is making the, the systems of your home, your home itself, smart in this way. The product that we have on the market today is this fancy energy monitor. But we are extending past that. But let me describe the fancy energy monitor first. The current version of this, or the one that's been in the market, remember I told you about those meters that send uh, a 15-minute interval data up? And you know, we came from the smartphone world, so we thought, oh, smart meter world. We heard about smart meters. I said, oh, it'll be like smartphones. We can make software that goes on them, and we'll be all set. Quickly learned that smart meters currently are not like smartphones. They instead have this very simplistic model of meter makes data, data goes to the utility, you get it the next day. And then we realized that's not going to work. So that led us down the path. We had to build our own little piece of hardware. So we have this uh, little orange box. If you look at our website, you'll see it. This little orange box goes inside the electrical panel. Little, it's easy to install. These little clamps just clamp around the main wires, plug it into a breaker. However, it's inside the panel, so it should be installed by an electrician. So easy to install, but a lot of friction because of the, the uh, electrician install. But that little orange box is basically being its own meter, measuring power, has some local processing, has networking, but we're measuring power at a million times a second. 
So crazy high resolution power meter. And you, it turns out you need, you don't need a million. That's kind of a little overkill. There's some good things to do with it, but there's no way you can do this kind of real time view of what's going on at home from even one second interval data or kind of the, the other things that people have tried before. So very ambitious piece of hardware measuring crazy high resolution data. And from that, we can, with machine learning, we can figure out that the microwave just turned on, the toaster just turned off. Or your air, air conditioner is trying to start but failing, and it looks like the start capacitor might be going on. So that's kind of the, the core product, and it's provided in an application. It's this fun, bubbly application that gives people this real-time view of their home. We have very high engagement numbers among tech early adopters, at least, and people are getting energy savings. I mean, just by having that, active users get 15% savings. Not everyone's an active user, so across the population, it's less than that. But we get real savings from people just by having this visibility. And then we're using that as a launch pad for things like automatically controlling when your EV charges or giving you alerts to that there might be a safety problem in your wall or something like that. So, so think of that energy monitor as a starting point, but now using that as a data platform intelligence for all sorts of other so if I, if I understand on the product side today, you've been in market technology development in market for a while now, you know, cl- close to close to coming up on a decade. And really what built so far is almost an early adopter MVP that is this aftermarket device you plug into your panel and allows consumers to do a few things, right? It allows you to see what's currently running in your home or not, to understand sort of over time energy usage, to view trends of how their home changes over the course of a day or a week or a month. And then I think they even dive into individual devices and kind of the energy footprint that they're using. And this is doing all this by actually listening to the electrical signals that are passing through your your panel. I'm curious. So I I think I understand that's kind of the MVP that you have in market today. We'll we'll talk about where you're going with the product, which I think is the next evolution. But I'm curious of those, which, like you said, it is a decent amount of friction. Like you buy the, the product, you've got to find an electrician to install it, et cetera. But for those like dedicated people who really want to see their home footprint, what are the features that people are using the most today? Do you have a sense of that? People have been buying it from a starting point of because they want to understand energy use in their home. So either because they're tech early doctor nerds like ourselves that really just want to understand this stuff, or people that have high electric bills and are desperate to do something about it. We, we really do have some more mainstreamish customers who are who are using this because they have a problem that they want to solve. To save money use case, like help me actually, I can't get an electrician to figure out what in the world exactly. is going on. And we just see so many use cases like this. People, in fact, one of our employees just found the other day using Sense that the, in their condo, the uh, washer and dryer in the shared area is on their meter. It's not supposed to be. So it's stuff like that. Like most homes have a couple like strange things going on and once the user knows about them, they can get them dealt with and, and fix them. But let me not get stuck there because that's the starting point in clear economic value, clear carbon reduction value we care about. The thing that keeps people coming back though and engaged, because once you understand your home from an energy perspective, there's no reason to look at it three times a day. But what, what people typically find is by having this activity of what's going on in their home, they find at least a couple of things in there that is interesting to them on a daily basis. And it varies by the person, right? If you can either see how you know, like I say, is the well pump working? Is the sump pump working? So system stuff, or I've left the house and I leave something on, what's going on? Or I'm away and like, it's only get home from, from work yet or something. So that's so a peace of mind use case. Like it starts as a, 
what's going on and moves into peace of mind. But then we're starting to layer on, and this is where it's very exciting. Now that we have that footprint, this kind of virtual sensor network, we see what's going on. We have a, a footprint in the home where we can talk to other devices. So we have integrations with some smart plugs like EP link plugs, Wemo plugs, Philips Hughes lights and so on. We're starting to do integrations into EV chargers. We'll do things like hot water heaters and thermostats. You can see how this engaging app then becomes a central point for how you might better engage with variable rate plans, where you might be working with uh, VPP programs and so on, to virtual power plant programs to, to provide more load flexibility. Because look, our, our overall big picture is we want to support the energy transition. So that means more renewables on the grid, more electrification. So things like we can see that you have an inefficient AC that's breaking down and you have oil heat, you become a great candidate for ripping all that out and putting in a new efficient heat pump. So, so all those things to help in the electrification and then the management of those, so these loads don't all stack up, we think we can play a very big role in the, the residential part of the energy transition. So let's move into where you're going. Let's start with product and then let's go into market, right? So product-wise, today you're this aftermarket dongle. I know you have some exciting things you've announced recently about how you're, you know, what the next iteration of this Sense product looks like. Maybe, maybe share a bit more about where you see that going. Yeah, so we've always had the, the focus at the company. This only matters if we can be in, in large scale, of, which just doesn't happen in this retrofit $300 thing. We're not stopping to do that. I still like the, the right product for early adopters and retrofit across the market. But we want to be on a path where this can be in all really all. And that only happens once it gets built in. So it has to be built into homes. There's only two places, like this kind of centralized intelligence about this power in your home. Only two places it can be, practically speaking, either built into the electrical panel. So realize we retrofit into electrical panels. So either built into the electrical panel or built into the utility meters. Those are the two places. So for that, we've got these great partnerships. One of our partnerships we've had for, for years now is with Schneider Electric. They've been an investor in the company. We've been working with them quite a bit on the Schneider variants of the hardware and working with them across their product sets to have this intelligence built into Schneider electrical panels. And we're very well aligned with them about the overall goals around electrification and decarbonization. So that's one. The other one is on the utility side and the utility meter side. And, you know, these back to those smart meters that I was insulting earlier that are not really smart meters. There's no reason they can't be. I mean, the utilities already spend something like $300 of your money, including insulation and all this kind of stuff, to put a meter on the outside of your house that already has digital sampling of power, already has computing, already has networking. So just the same stuff as our, in our little orange box. They just weren't good enough. But no, no reason they can't be. In fact, the incremental costs of making those things higher resolution data, more processing, more networking, it doesn't cost that much to do that incremental thing once you're already making a meter. So, so like we've been working with one of the meter makers, Landis and Gear, one of the major meter makers for the last couple of years. They now have a meter called Rebello that runs Sensei software. And I can't talk about all the, the deals, but there is one that's public, which is National Grid has bought. 1.7 million of those meters for New York State. So that meter is able to run Sense as software. So you, you can see that that then becomes this completely different equation for the consumers. Oh, I have this new meter. Usually you would not care, right? <laughs> we're hoping as these new meters roll out in New York, we don't know exactly the marketing plans around it, but we're hoping 
like this will be the first time ever we want consumers to look forward to their new meter coming because now it can run applications like this. And in this case, you are your sales channel becomes utilities. Are the consumers still subscribing to a Sense app through you, or is is it moving to a more B two B or B two B two C kind of engagement model at that point? We are staying consumer facing from an application. Really think of it like smartphones. Think of us as as like an application. Think of us as Google Maps or Waze on your iPhone. Obviously the meter maker or the iPhone maker in the telecom case and the utility or the telecom in the Verizon case, they have a role to play to make sure that these applications don't harm the networks and don't do bad things with consumer. But we think this future of this energy world is going to support and should enable applications like Sense to be a consumer-facing application with benefits to the utility for sure, and most especially with benefits to the consumer and then the policy. I mean, we are very aligned on the consumer benefits, on the policy benefits, and doing it in ways that are beneficial to utilities. We think those all come together so that everyone's going to be happy that you can have this new meter with this kind of functionality. The consumer wouldn't necessarily choose a, a meter or a panel that has since embedded. I guess with a panel they might, with a meter they wouldn't. Is that is that right? But they would then be activated to turn on the app if they wanted to. Is that is that generally correct? Yeah. It, so you're right. They they don't have a choice for the most part of what meter they get. I, I think in some utilities they can opt out of the smart meter if they're scared of it for some reason. You know, once the meter is there. And by the way, we do think consumer opt-in is important for this kind of consumer facing application because consumers should agree to the, the benefits and the data privacy issues. So, you know, our, our terms of service are consumers own their data and we treat it very carefully and consumers should know that and be careful about that versus just being defaulted in from their utility. We think that's going to change the dynamics really dramatically. You know, starting to think of meters, not just as this thing that supports a monthly bill, but as this Part of the infrastructure of your home that can run applications, just like your phone became this new thing that can run consumer-facing applications. That's what we're gunning for. We think that really needs to happen, not just for us, but things like getting your EV to charge at the right time, getting your hot water heater run all the right time. You know, all the kinds of things we want to do in the energy transition need consumers involved, needs a bunch of applications and the role that utilities can play is by having this meter as a platform for these applications. And we're seeing a really good sign of that. Yeah, and I want to acknowledge we're talking about both meters and panels separately. I'm curious, almost regardless of sense, how do you see each of these devices in the house evolving and what should each of them separately be? What role do they each play over the next you know, five, 10 years as they change? So look, I, I think um, these are going to coexist in good ways. So like as certainly for like new construction and high-end retrofits, these panels are going to start to become smarter panels. Like I say, working closely with Schneider Electric on this and the dynamics there, you may know that there's a, various players that are working on these kind of smarter panels, but you know, the Schneider has a, a very big role to play there and we're working very closely with them. So think of that kind of the new construction builders retrofit world. But if you also think about how do we get this to be mass market adopted across you know, the entire population, that's the role that the, the utilities and the meters play. Because when they roll these things out, and you probably know they get rolled out based on rate cases they make to their regulatory bodies. So every, every now and then they roll out new meters, but they go to everybody then. So I think that's how we're going to start to get this kind of high tech, high 
technology stuff available to, to everybody, including low and medium income consumers that really actually have a strong economic incentive to, yeah, give me some visibility and help me manage my bill back. Maybe don't don't assume I, I know how they get rolled out. Um, <laughs> or I'm ah, so, so sorry. <laughs> or that any of us listening to you, like maybe maybe talk a little bit about that. What does the upgrade cycle look like for uh, electric meters in in homes? Well, you did mention a little earlier that we've been been at this for a long time, and the reason is this is a slow moving industry. I mean, this, this is kind of and maybe some of your your listeners who are trying to take tech and intersect it with these big industries. I mean, the payoff is huge because this is where all all the, the big scale happens, but they are slow living industries. So with that uh, caveat, and utilities absolutely are in this kind of, kind of world, uh, and for good reason. I mean, they, they need to supply reliable power to, to large swaths of customers, and they're highly regulated. The, the utilities that we're mainly dealing with are the investor-owned regulated utilities in North America, and they, they are regulated by state-by-state state regulators that are looking out for how the utilities spend basically your money that you're paying through in your electric rate case to roll out infrastructure like new transformers or new substations or new meters. And they need to be doing it in ways that are beneficial to the customer and, and the, the end users. And that's what happens in these uh, smart meters have gotten rolled out based on those things. You know, the, the good news from a cost perspective is like our, our view is by making the home smarter, you can actually avoid a lot of other costs. Uh, for example, as everyone's getting EVs and heat pumps, and a lot are worrying about whether the electrical grid is up to the task. Like, are we going to go replace all the transformers, all the substations, all the feeders? Look, if you make these things smart so that it's not the case that, well, if it is the case that everyone gets home, plugs in their new EVs at 6 p.m. and the, the interface is charged now, you know, the peak demand for that is going to cause a lot of infrastructure disruption. Consumers don't care when their car gets charged. They just want to go far enough tomorrow. So if the interface is plug your car in at 6 p.m. or whenever you get home, make sure it goes far enough tomorrow. Let let us, let computers take it in, in control of when these things happen and make smart decisions about when to charge your car. And it probably depends on location in the grid too, right? Like I'm assuming in California, energy is clean during the day because it's all solar. In Texas, energy is clean at night because it's wind, et cetera, right? So it's it's you know it's it's quite variable, I'm guessing. We did a little study with a, a local company called Singularity, where we we studied what would happen for the carbon reduction if you let us automate when your car gets charged. And you're right, in California, it was the big biggest change. We could save forty three percent of the carbon emissions of car charging by letting us automate it. It was exactly the effect you mentioned, which is charge them during the day, either at home or at work found that you could save about 43% versus charge during the normal battery. So you, you were asking the question about like how, how long this takes to roll out. So these cases that are being made for the upgrades to these infrastructure, including smart meters, are big, difficult decisions that take a while. But as those happen, and this is where we're spending a lot of time, is to make sure that if utility is making a case for new meters and a regulator is looking at that, they should take into account that there's a next generation meter available that can run applications, but we're not saying you have to run since. We're saying make sure your meters are capable enough because they're going to be there for the next 20 years. The energy transition better happen over that time frame. I mean, you don't want to replace your meters. So make sure you have the right infrastructure. Are there meter OS companies out there that any entrepreneurs listening to this should know about if they're thinking about building applications for the future of smart meters? They're starting to be a, a few of them that have, they're, they're calling it distributed intelligence or distributed intelligence platforms that they're starting to be applications uh, for. 
you know, like I, I think we're, we are just crossing this hump now where this is starting to be real and viable in the market. And these meters I was telling you about with Mendison Gear are the first that are able to run an application as intensive as Sense is. And our view is if you can run Sense, you can run just about everything. Back to your mobile phone background, like we're in the, the brew days of, uh, of of technology and we're waiting for Android to, to come around, it sounds <laughs> it, like a little bit. Yeah, we might just be, remember when iPhone first came out, it could only run Apple apps. I, I think we're, we're starting we're, we're starting to get past that phase, but we're right at that awkward phase. Yeah, interesting. So once this is deployed and you've got this footprint out there installed across the United States, what does it unlock for you? Like, what is that? What does that future look like? You know, as as both as a business for sense, as well as how the world is different. So like, we we are gunning for wide adoption of this. So so one decision we made is as these meters roll out, we are making this capability available to the consumers without charging the consumers. We think it's an important decision because we really do want broad adoption. And our, we are confident enough in the value that we can unlock around energy efficiency, load flexibility, even things like grid analytics. We, something I didn't mention is we have this high-resolution data at the edge. We can see what's happening in the home. Turns out we can see the look the other direction and see what the grid's doing, see vegetation hitting by power line. My point is we think there's enough value in this energy efficiency, grid optimization, load flexibility. And even things outside the energy world, like data for insurance companies, appliance referrals, and so on, that we are fully linking ourselves to, let's get paid for that value, all, all with consumer opt-ins. We're not, we're not going to go do an advertising model where we, we you know, sneak the data behind the consumer's backs. So consumer could opt in to a demand response program or an efficiency program, or even share data with an insurance company and get a cutoff of the insurance. So all with consumer opt-in, create that kind of value and, and then get a our, our revenue uh, drive from that is the model we're taking. And so th- this allow- allows us to align completely with how do we provide value and absolutely in the energy space, not just efficiency, this load shifting, helping with more uh, electrification and helping to drive people to get better systems in their home. I mean, one other clear example, you probably heard this on some other stories, everyone's realizing this, it's like 80% of HVAC system replacements are done as an emergency. If it breaks in the middle of the summer in Texas, you got to move out of your house until you get a new AC. So it's an emergency to fix it. If you can turn that into a considered purchase because you know it's about to break down, you know it's efficient, let people learn about their utility programs. and if it, Then you can make a much better decision and say, you know, I really should take a look at this new heat pump program versus just whatever the guy has in the truck. So all those things we think we can add value to make homes better users of energy, but also go beyond that. So things like safety, we're looking at, we can see arc faults in the wall that might cause a house to catch on fire. We're doing work on that stuff. So how do you make your home not only a better user of resources, but also a healthier, safer, better place to live? And from a technology footprint, does this still rely on some of the original technology insights around listening to signals? Or have you evolved the technology to be more directly plugged into per circuit level utilization? Look, still the basis is, you know, we can do more and more just from these signals. It, it, as I mentioned earlier on, it's this insanely hard technical problem. So we, we're we not done yet. We have a lot of headroom to go yet. But we're also not trying to rely only on that. So, so keep in mind, we're, we're not trying to be an electrical load disaggregation company. We, we really are trying to provide this kind of broader experience for consumers. And the load disaggregation signal processing thing is just our our way to do that as kind of the baseline. But Look, if, if a smart device gets plugged into your house and we can talk to it, 
we are super happy to talk to the smart device. And, and there's a nice synergy between these. Let, let me give you another example. We all know about the smart thermostats. And you think, oh, they got thermostat or HVAC covered. They don't. They, they know the indoor or outdoor temperature. They know what they, they're asking the HVAC to do. They don't know how much energy your AC is using. They, they don't have a view of that. And they don't even know if it's working correctly. We're kind of the opposite. We can see what the HVAC is or AC system is doing, but we don't know what's being asked to do. You know, imagine connecting those two things. We have a full view of how the heating and cooling of your house is working, which is 50% of all energy use of homes. So the opportunity to fully optimize how your, your heating and cooling is working in the home and providing load flexibility about that, it's such the right thing to do. It just drives me crazy if we don't do it. So we got we got to do that. So well, and, and maybe share a little bit about how the company has been has grown to date. You all have, I look at who's been involved in this company. You have some of the biggest name climate and clean tech energy investors in the planet. You've got some incredible strategics. Maybe walk us back from when you were originally raising your seed round a year or two into the business to where you are today and talk us through how you've capitalized. Yeah. So I can tell you even from the early days, since I had already been in the Boston-based tech scene and had some good exits for local Boston-based VCs, even with that, raising money from the Boston VCs was the thing I learned was the the mix of energy consumer and Boston were not compatible with each other. Frankly, in the general VC world, sorry to all my Boston based VC friends out there. Uh, but then we got connected with some great investors in climate. So this is Prelude and Capricorn. They've just been great supporters. Totally plugged in this world. Got the vision. I've uh, been working with them uh, since the beginning of the company. Then our A round was done by EIP Energy Impact Partners and Shell. Uh, Shell was getting into the uh, residential uh, electricity world, haven't done a lot there yet, but Energy Impact Partners has been awesome for us. You probably know that their LPs are the big investor-owned utilities. So even though we weren't really ready for working with utilities five years ago, whenever that is, having the connectivity there has been super helpful to us uh, roughly. Schneider led our B round, great relationship there. And then we just closed a, a new big round with uh, Blue Earth Capital, who actually got introduced to us through MCJ. So thank you very much. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. Uh, they connected to us through MCJ. It was an awesome thing and uh, uh, led our C round and we we're um, cranking and hiring. Super happy to hear that. And obviously, we're proud investors that came into your C round as well. So excited to be part of the journey that you're on. And I'm curious when you raised those original rounds with, again, you know, Prelude, Capricorn, and then even your A round with EIP. Were they investing at the time in a aftermarket consumer dongle or was did they always, even back then, view that as an MVP that was going to lead to this more integrated approach? We were clear, even from the beginning, that this only scales once it get, gets built in. And we were mainly thinking about the meters. Frankly. We hadn't considered the built into panels, so we're super happy when Schneider got involved and opened that up for us. <laughs> it does get to the story a little bit because even back when we were early days, we would say this, this is an MVP, this is how we get going. Yeah, we know those problems and here's how it's going to scale. And the people we we're just talking about got it and understood that was required. The, the Boston-based VCs would say, yeah, yeah, but this electrician install, I really don't get it. No, 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 no. It's not, it's, we're we're going to move past that one day. But look, I, I don't mean to be um, inappropriate about this. Like the reality is, and I think it is an important thing, and they were right, that the time horizons for getting regulatory, getting infrastructure, getting utilities, this is beyond the horizon. We knew it was going to take a long time. I, you know, I actually had the chart that showed how all this uh, worked, but I carefully did not label the x-axis because I knew it was going to take a long time. And I was very upfront with people like, 
Gabriel Cry at Prelude. It's going to take a long time. And he was, uh, he said, okay, let's do it. And what did you feel like you needed to de-risk in those early days? Like as you're rolling out this minimal viable product, which is the acronym for MVP I've been throwing around for those of you who, who don't know what that means. Uh, wh- what were the what were the biggest things you wanted to de-risk? It probably wasn't like, what's the attachment rate for people who buy the product and get it installed by an electrician? Or maybe it was, I don't know. You had to, have, you had to prove you could do that, I guess, to have an early business. Um, but I'm curious, what are the big things you wanted to learn early on? So it really was two things. One is get over some technology risk, because there was a lot of technology risk. And the other was to, can we make a engaging consumer product, even for the early adopters? Because look, if we couldn't get people to use the, the product, you know, even if we did some cool tech for it, it wouldn't have happened. But we were also quite deliberate that we didn't try to go talk to the meter makers or the utilities about this back then. We, we just know it, it would not have happened. I mean, yeah, little discussions, but we, we didn't push them back then. We, we just were very clear we had to prove out the consumer value case first. I mean, there's another part for the machine learning folks in, in the listening here. There's also a huge problem here about how do you get data and how do you get ground truth? You know, in the previous problems we worked in, you know, speech recognition, vision process, you can get the data from every, anywhere. You can get ground truth, meaning what is the reality? You can get people listen to things and type them in. Here, you, you couldn't even get the data and you can't get ground truth. Like the only way to get the data, high resolution data, what's going on in homes is to deploy these kind of systems. It just doesn't exist otherwise. And of course, to do that, you have to have something that works. So there's a, there's, there's kind of a big chicken and egg problem for how you got these first systems out. Was there a big hurdle for us to get over? But now we're in the virtual cycle part of that. We need a huge amount of data for it. I think it's such a good lesson for entrepreneurs, Mike. I mean, if you would have in 2014 started talking to some of these big manufacturers about this idea, they probably would have said, oh, we'll do that ourselves. We'll get there. Of course, they haven't. And instead, you went out, did it yourself, and now you can come to them having all the insights about how consumers actually want to interact around this stuff, which is data that they don't have. And it puts you in a, in a very valuable seat because you went out and collected the data yourself and have built a proprietary understanding of how consumers interact with their home around electricity that doesn't otherwise really exist in most people's minds. You're, you're absolutely right about that. And that's also based on lessons we had learned from the voice assistant world back in the mid-2000s. If we had back then gone to the AT&Ts and Verizon in the world and said, hey, check this out, it just wouldn't have happened. Us and Siri and a few others had to really prove the case for that to take off. And, and, and that's why that happened. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and share your story with us and paint a picture of where you're headed with Sense and the impact it can have. I guess the last question I'll have for you is for anyone listening who's intrigued, how can they help? We are hiring. Take a look at our website. Uh, we're, uh, we're growing nicely and also uh, love to be connected to others, especially in this space that are working on residential energy systems. Uh, happy to, to be in touch. Hey, everyone. Jason here. Thanks again for joining me on my climate journey. If you'd like to learn more about the journey, you can visit us at my climatejourney.co. Note that is .co, not .com. Someday we'll get the .com, but right now, .co. You can also find me on Twitter at jjacobs22, where I would encourage you to share your feedback on the episode or suggestions for future guests you'd like to hear. And before I let you go, if you enjoyed the show, please share an episode with a friend or consider leaving a review on iTunes. The lawyers made me say that. Thank you.